kids' dogs often. Uh, and then three years ago, I, uh, I got to be a grandparent. And uh, I found I had a new passion in life. So as we celebrate today, I mean, Grandparents' Day, I enjoy my birthday. You know, I get to be special a little bit anyway, or Father's Day. But Grandparents' Day, you don't need a day. All I need is one of my grandkids. If I'm with one of my grandkids, it's Grandparents' Day for me. We did that yesterday. It's a great time just kind of sitting and stopping life for a little while and um, reading a book, throwing a ball, pushing a swing, all those things that we get to do, picking up food off the floor, um, you know, trying to figure out ways to convince these kids that they need to eat something healthy. those are the joys in life. I've told some of you that being a grandparent almost makes having kids worthwhile. <laughs> in addition to um, being a grandparent, you know, and uh, the passion I get to spend with those kids, I have new responsibilities. And one of those responsibilities I discovered early on, it sprang out of the passion, and, and I, it's great. I found this new... Uh, this, this great positive use for all this new technology. It's my responsibility to record digitally every waking moment of my grandkids' lives. And so I have on my, my phone right now 1,209 pictures and videos. 95% of those, at least, are of my grandkids. So this being Grandparents' Day, me with all these pictures, just sit back and we're like, <laughs> I could do that, but I'm not going to right now anyway. Um, Jay Kessler said that young people need something stable to hang on to, a cultural connection, a sense of their own past, a hope for their own future. Most of all, they need what grandparents can give them. Grandparents provide a legacy for their grandchildren. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. The paraphrase, the message says it this way, A good life gets passed on to the grandchildren. That's a great thing to think about. I didn't get to know my grandparents very much. Um, Lifespans have increased, so it's becoming more likely that kids get to know their grandparents well. I spent a lot of time with my dad's grandmother up through my early ages in elementary school. While she still lived alone, I spent mornings with her. As my, my mom had some other things going, and uh, she left me with my grandmother. That, does, that wasn't a leaving. I suppose that's a wrong way to describe it. It was a great thing. I got to to just live with my grandmother those five mornings a week, to walk to the store with her. When I walk on the street and I see garbage, I can't pick it up. You know why? I can't pass it up. I have to pick it up. It's because I remember walking with my grandmother and stopping and picking up garbage to throw it away. I remember when I was leading a choir 25 years ago and singing a song that really I, I didn't I hadn't really sung much in church but as I started to lead my choir and developing this song 
tears came to my eyes because the memory was that my grandmother used to sing that song to me in Swedish. And so the truth was finally coming out. It's there. It was there for me that God held me as precious in his sight. But I got that message through my grandmother. So the legacy that goes on and and continues comes from those who are above us and have an opportunity to slow down and talk to us a little bit, to share life with us. So are you leaving a good legacy or bad legacy? You're leaving a legacy, whether you intend to or not. But is it good or bad? So I started thinking about what I was doing. So let me take a couple of seconds just to give you some observations. And so now for the pictures. You knew you were going to get them, right? My, uh, my grandson, Wesley. Baseball. It's one of the things I enjoy doing. So I've got to pass that on to my grandkids. Now, if you're, if you're astute, you'll see there's a problem with that picture. Yeah, it's a Sox game. Well, you can't go to a major league game. You take them anywhere you can. And... Uh, so, anyway, we had a, we had a great time at, uh, at the baseball game. Another passion of my life is donuts. It's my granddaughter in uh, San Antonio teasing me. She sent me this picture because she had a donut, and I didn't. And so when I was down there, I thought I'd show her where donuts were created. So we took a trip to Krispy Kreme to watch the machine make those donuts. There you go. Yeah, that's a, what a wonderful experience, leaving that legacy. Now, my, my, my third granddaughter, Laura's just turned a year. For a year, she had no sweets. So it's my responsibility to be a part of introducing that to her. <laughs> so that's Culver's and her discovering ice cream. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it, that, that was worth five, ten minutes of, uh, of uh, entertainment for us. And then another thing I, I spend time with my grandkids with is dogs. That's my dog in the backyard and Laura. They all love the dogs. I love dogs. So we spend time together with the dogs. Now, Kate, and when I was down there in Arizona, or in, Cal- in Texas, i got to remember where I was, we just sat that, around that water table for an hour. It's 100 degrees outside. I don't know why I was out there, except for her. And we enjoyed just a quiet hour together. So playing. Don't you like to play? Grandkids give you an excuse to play. And Laura, we bond. This is our... You know, for you Star Trek people, this is the Viking, or the, you know, mind meld, Vulcan mind meld. But we just enjoy spending time together, you know, kind of looking closely at each other. My grandkids always also get to meet my mom, or my wife. <laughs> yeah. My, my mom's coming up. <laughs> but my, my wife. So I get to introduce them to the lady I love. And they enjoy, she enjoys them more than I do. But grandkids, we get to be a part of the family. We have uh, girls in our family. They can't control those kids. So there's the family girls. The family, uh, the family guys are a little more controlled. Yeah. 
There's probably a, some kind of basketball game on or something we were watching. Um, but they get to uh, spend time with uh, my mom, too. No, did we, did we miss my mom, Natalie? She was in there. It was Wesley celebrating birthday with my mother and, uh, and having a good time. This is why I enjoy hiking. We enjoy going out and spending time together. Here's a family hike. And then uh, just as we were opening this building, I was here with my family. There's Wesley sitting down at the end of the row. He was the first one for worship. He's sitting down there waiting. But as I thought about all these pictures, looked at all these pictures, we leave a legacy of what we love. And so the question we need to ask ourselves if we're concerned with leaving a legacy is what do we love? Because that's what we're going to pass down. Does what we love have any real value? A lot of these things I shared with you are fun, but they aren't eternal, except for the Cubs. (laughs) And that eternity is not a pleasant one. Um, (laughs) But part of the issue with building a spiritual legacy is that a lot of what we love isn't worth leaving. It's material, it's inconsequential. Wouldn't it make sense to intentionally leave a godly legacy? healthy, rather than an earthly, selfish one. We're going to look at Psalm 78 this morning, where Asaph, the the writer of this psalm, uh, will tell us about leaving a spiritual legacy. He's warning Israel not to take, not to imitate their uh, wicked ancestors, not to um, imitate their wicked neighbors, but instead to uh, follow the scriptures, to know the scriptures, teach the scriptures to their children. The philosopher Hegel said uh, this, and Israel proves it out. We see it today. He said, the one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. God told the nation of Israel, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Deuteronomy 11, Moses said, Fix these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Moses was telling the, the children of Israel what God had told him, and he said, you need to obey these words. And the heart of this law, this teaching, is found in Deuteronomy 6.9, where God said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's one of those verses that occurs often in Scripture. Jesus spoke those words when he was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he spoke those words. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he added to it and he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're to follow the law, then we will love God. If we pass on what we love, we pass on then the law of God and and leave that. We'll be passing on God's love for people and God and our love for God. And this doesn't apply just to grandparents. 
It's grandparents' days, so we started out that way. It does apply to grandparents. It also applies to parents, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, children, leaders. Whatever role in life you have, these principles bear out in your life. So in Psalm 78, Asaph starts out, he says, Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation. We will tell them the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob. He established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds. So the four values, four steps that Asaph shares with us about creating a spiritual legacy. The first one is listen to God's word. In those first three verses of Psalm 78, he says, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. And he goes on to expand on that a little bit when he says, hear those words. Put yourself in a place where you can take in the word of God. If you want to leave a spiritual legacy, you need to have something to let flow through you. So are you actively in church listening to the word of God? Are you in your Bible reading and listening to the Word of God? When you spend time with people, are you sharing the Word of God and hearing what God has to say to you? We need to hear the Word of God. We need to be listening for the Word of God. And if we're not in a place where it comes, then how are we going to hear it? And you can do that in different ways. You have Christian radio. Now, many of you listen to Christian music radio, There are spots on the dial where you can listen to good Christian teaching. Not just people of today, but from years ago. If you listen to WMBI, they bring back some of the great preachers at uh, 9 o'clock every weekday morning. You can listen to other teachers throughout the day. You can go on our website and listen to Pastor Scott over and over again if you want. The same message, till you get it. I mean, sometimes that's what it takes, isn't it? The music that you listen to, don't just listen and feel the beat, hear the words. The words we sang this morning should inform you about what God wants to do in your life, who God is for you, what he is capable of, why we should worship him. Put yourself in a place to listen to the word of God. But he moves on and says it's more than that. We need to not only listen, we need to know the word of God. He says what, in verse 3, what we have heard and known. Believe God's word. We need to put it into practice. To know something, I think, means to then apply it. It's not just listening, but it's knowing, hearing and knowing. It takes both. James makes that clear to us when he says in chapter 1, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Deceive yourselves by thinking listening's enough. 
do what it says, hear and know. So that's the first step. We need to listen to the Word of God. But then we need to, once we do that, we need to speak about God and His works. In verse 4, he says, I will not hide them from the children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. So we need to speak, and we need to speak how? Clearly. I will not hide. So there needs to be an intent on our parts not only to talk about what God says and what he means and what he does, and, but we need to then say that in a way that other people will understand. So if you're talking to your grandchild who's three, you can't go into deep theological studies, but you can talk to them about who God is and how he made things. Who made that tree? You all know that song, Who Made the Trees? What comes? God did. You can talk about anything that way, but they begin to understand. Sometimes you've got to correct them because they think their mom or dad made them. Uh, but you know, you've got to work through those things. But that's helping them understand that God is the creator. God is the helper. So you pray with them and thank God for what he has offered to us for his, his gift of their parents, as a grandparent, as you're praying with them. You get those opportunities. But you need to make those things plain to them. Look for ways to do that. You need to do the same thing with your friends as you're sharing the gospel. You speak it, the, the scripture speaks, the spirit moves, but he tells us to be thoughtful in our conversation and how we per portray that. So we need to speak about God and his works, and we need to do that clearly. I think, too, that one of the things that's in, that is, is here in this passage is that we need to do this publicly, not hidden. We need to be free to share those truths, not just with our family, but with the people around us, so that it doesn't just become, it's just for me, or it's for me and I'm embarrassed to share it with others, but it's who we are, it's what we know, so we share that word so others can hear it. So we speak clearly, we speak publicly. The, third, the, the, the uh, second part of that is what we speak, and he talks about that in those verses. He said we need to talk about the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, about his, his works, what he has done, creation, Israel was reminded over and over again to recount God's works. And if you read through the Psalms, if you read through the prophets, they're telling those people that part of their problem is they don't remember what God has done for them, how he brought them up out of the land of Egypt. He redeemed them. He gave them a promised land. And he set them up and he brought them success as they followed him. Remember those things. Remember that I parted the Red Sea. Remember that you walked across the Jordan River on dry ground. Remember those things. So talk about the great power and the great works of God. In our lives, what are those works that we can recount? Well, God saved us. We ought to be talking about that. God worked in my life. He brought me to himself. And this is how. This is where I was. This is where I am. And this is because of God. 
God's grace is at work in my life. So we need to speak of those works. The psalmist also tells us that we need to speak of God's mighty power, those great things that he has done. His, his miracles, don't be ashamed of those, proclaim those boldly. The miracles that he performed in scripture, but the miracles that he performed in our lives. Meditate and figure out ways to talk about verses like, now unto the king eternal, immortal. What does it mean for God to be immortal? Invisible. The only wise God. Talk about those attributes of God that demonstrate how great and powerful He is. He's a great God. And we need to be clear as we share that truth. And then we also need to speak of God's word, his works, his power, and his word. We are to study, as 2 Timothy 2.15 says, to show ourselves approved unto God. What do we study so that we're approved to God? We study his word. And so we need to be imparting the word of God to others. We need to be speaking the word of God. The word of God is more valuable than our words. That's hard for us to understand sometimes, isn't it? We enjoy our words. We think our words are eloquent or meaningful, but really God tells us that all of our speaking compared to his word is like grass and dust. It's material, but God's word is powerful. So as we we need to listen to God's word, we need to speak about God's word, and we need to do that thoughtfully. Then we need to teach God's truth. We need to teach God's word. That's the third step that Asaph passes on to us. In verse 5 he said, He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. It's not enough to know. It's not enough to have. We need to impart. So we need to teach those things so that the next generation will know. As we teach, and we teach in a way that they can understand, they will hear, and then they will know. That's the emphasis on leaving a spiritual legacy. We need to teach those truths. And so that, as well, the next generation will speak those truths. It says that at the end of verse 6. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. See, there's the spiritual legacy. It moves forward. If we follow these truths and these steps, then our children should step and follow the next generation. The fourth step that Asaph shares with us is that there is a response that needs to happen. And he says in verse 7, Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. We speak in a way, but still there needs to be a response. And so the next generation needs to step forward here and know and move on and create the whole process again. So what does it look like? And as you've re- you're thinking right now, wait a minute, I know the stories in the Old Testament. The Israelites didn't follow this, and they didn't. You may know stories in your own life where this is true. You know someone where the chain is broken of legacy. 
You may be frustrated right now because you say, well, I didn't get this. But that's where God comes in. You can create a spiritual legacy if you respond to the Spirit of God in your life. But we ought to be creating children that look in, in our own lives. We ought to be creating this, but then giving it to our children as well. Like what, Psalm 127. You want to turn there? I'm just going to read it. You know these verses. We pull these verses out for different things. But Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. We don't want to labor in vain, do we? We want to be building something. So unless the Lord builds the house, it's builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stands guard in vain. In vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage to the Lord. Children are reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. The profile of someone who is not having a vain life is threefold. We are God-dependent workmen. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. We need to be dependent on God for all of our work, all of our actions, building God's kingdom, creating a legacy. Without God in the building, the building is vain. That's hard to take, because some of us have built some pretty nice buildings. But God's not in them. We need to start over. We may need to demolish. We need to have God in all that we do. And if we are looking for our children to catch God, to catch Jesus in their lives, we need to be building God into the legacy that we pass down. One commentator said, the human hand without the hand of God is in vain. So we need to be God-dependent workmen. In verse, in, later in that verse, he says we need to be God-dependent watchers. Once we are working, we need to not just sit back, we need to be watching, watching for the enemy to try to sneak in and trip us up watching for all those enemies' attacks. And if God is not in our watching, what does it say? Our watching is in vain. We can think we're on top of things, but unless we are submitted to the Spirit in our own lives, we won't see the attacks coming. We need to be watching for God to work in our lives. Without God giving us the sight to see the enemy, we won't see it. That same commentator just phrased this, phrased this uh, line this way. He said, the human eye without the eye of God is in vain. Trusting in God's power because he's building and watching so that we can see what will trip us up, what will break the pattern, what will foil the legacy what will frustrate the work of God. So we need to be God-dependent workmen, God-dependent watchmen. We need to be building God-dependent workmen, God-dependent watchmen. And then the result here is God-dependent warriors. These last verses talk about children 
who are prepared to do battle for God. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the sons of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. What God is telling us is if the legacy works the way it should, if we train our children to be that way, then we will have more troops for the spiritual battle. They will be fresh, trained, and equipped. You know, and he switches here to children. He hasn't talked about children earlier in the psalm, but he's saying how do you move on and move ahead than in spiritual warfare, in your godly living? And so we have special troops for the battles. It talks about arrows. What arrows in that day were the weapons that were used. They were not sticks unprepared. They were carefully selected. Sometimes the wood was aged. They were crafted as they chose the point and put it on for balance. They put feathers on the ends so that they would fly true. So these children, these arrows, are well-prepared weapons so that they can help in the battle. And it says they, and the blessing comes when we have lots of spiritual children, lots of arrows that can expand whatever ministry we have because there's more that God can use those arrows in, in God's hands. Better trained troops, more people to do God's work. That's what we should look like. That's what our children should look like. And then God takes the legacy and moves forward. So what does it look like? Maybe you've seen this in some people. Jonathan Edwards, you know about him. He was a great Puritan teacher in the early years, the mid-1700s in the United States. You may have read some of his sermons, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He was a godly man that sought to understand in the midst of a really some uh, religious persecution uh, as they settled out in the United States as it was developing how God would work. But as he did that, as he taught, as he ministered, he and his wife had conversations about their faith. And then as the children grew up, he had seven children. He involved them. They involved them in those conversations, discussing around the dinner table and at other times who God was, what, what he did, how they should live their lives. Their faithful legacy of passing down their faith over the succeeding generations, just let me give you a little synopsis of what resulted. Out of that family, there were a 100 lawyers, 80 office holders for public office, 66 physicians, the dean of a medical school, 65 university professors, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors of large cities, three state governors, three U.S. senators, a controller for the U.S. Treasury, and a vice president of the United States. Jonathan Edwards and his wife talked about godly principles with their children, and it carried on so that God's work in them continued. James Dobson, more modern uh, spiritual leader, founder of Focus on the Family, his spiritual legacy finds his root in his roots in his great grandfather, George McCluskey. 
George McCluskey prayed every day from 11 to 12 o'clock for his, his wife, his children, his children's future spouses, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren. That's what he did for an hour every day, that they would raise up generations of servants for God from his family. And that spiritual legacy continued, obviously, through Dr. Dobson, focus on the family ministry, but also his great-great-grandchildren. One is a pastor, another is a Christian lawyer. That spiritual legacy continues on. My own children haven't known a day when their grandparents haven't prayed for them. Both sides of the family. What a great gift that my kids have, that your kids can have, as you pray for them each day that God would continue to work in their lives, that God would develop them into faithful followers of Christ. Now, Psalm 78, if you were to continue there, I'll let you read that on your own. We read the first seven verses. The psalm is 72 verses. The rest of the psalm deals with a warning of what happens if you don't follow that pattern, if you don't build a spiritual legacy. And you can read the books of... uh, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, Judges, and follow. Find what happens when you don't follow the pattern that Asaph spoke. To hear God's word, to teach God's word, to speak God's word, to impart that, to accept it, to carry on. Because there is always a weak link that is there that can break the chain. So he gives us this warning. To be most effective in leaving his spiritual legacy, it's obvious you can't skip a generation. You've got to carry that on. A break in that, that pattern allows Satan to get a, a foothold. And as I mentioned earlier, if you're not part of a legacy, the situation's not hopeless. The Spirit of God is there to work in your life as you respond to his offer of salvation. You can change that pattern. Maybe you've been part of a legacy in church, but there wasn't a reality. Maybe you've adhered more to the truth than the application. You can change that pattern and say, no, it's truth and application. Maybe you haven't been speaking publicly about God's love in your life and grace. Maybe you haven't been intentionally sharing that with others. Maybe you haven't listened. Maybe you're at the other end, the accepting end, and you've been hearing that, but you haven't been applying it. So you need to say, I need to respond to that offer of grace from God, from my parents, from my grandparents, from those leaders that come in my life, so that we can grow a spiritual legacy. As a grandparent, parent, an aunt, an uncle, a brother, a sister, a a WANA leader, a friend, determined to leave a spiritual legacy. So have you heard? Do you know? Are you teaching and have you accepted? Heard a story a couple of weeks ago. It was at a Hillsong concert. And uh, during that concert, one of the people from Hillsong got up and shared, and I'm just going to end with this, reminding you of what it means to be a part of a spiritual legacy. Many of you are Olympic fans. Some of you are runners. 
Um, that's not me, but I do understand this. I did run some track in, in junior high, and that's the extent of my, my, uh, my athletic prowess. Um, in 2004, at the Olympics in Athens, the women's 4x100 relay team was considered the favorite. They were the best in the world all their times. So the individuals were faster than the other teams, and they were expected to win. If you followed that Olympics, you know that they came and they were doing well. In fact, they were winning until the final baton exchange. And as they, the third person in that leg went to hand that to the, the person running the anchor leg, they didn't quite make the exchange. They didn't drop the baton, but they exchanged the baton outside the exchange area, so they were disqualified. They went home losers. They didn't get the gold. Then a few years later, in Beijing, same thing. That four-by relay team was ready to win. They were favored to win. They were going to win. Their times were there. And they got up to the race, and they ran, and they were ahead again. But then in that final exchange, they dropped the baton. So they finished five seconds late. Again, not meddling. But then in London in 2012, once again they're favored. Once again their times are the best. All the exchanges were clean. Because the heart of their problem in their relay was the baton exchange. They could run. That wasn't the issue. They were all fast. But taking this from here to here was what the breakdown was. In our spiritual lives, we need to be conscious of clean exchanges. That's what spiritual legacy is. We need to rehearse those. We need to think about those. We need to practice those so that when it comes our time, we take that baton and we offer it in a way that people can receive it. Then, as those that are coming after, we need to respond to God's truth and we need to be ready and running so that we accept that baton and we carry on. That's what God is telling us today as grandparents, as parents, all of you sitting there, to leave a spiritual legacy to see God's work over generations. We need to take the truth of God seriously. We need to rehearse the passing of God's truth. And we need to move forward. So where are you there? What do you love? What are you passing on? to those that come after you, to those that are sitting next to you, to those that are riding in the car with you, to those that you love? Are you passing on eternal things? Are you passing on inconsequential material things? And you may be here today and say, you know what, I don't have a clue. I don't know what, I'm, what I should pass on and what I shouldn't. You need to turn to God and say, God, help me understand that. Understand that you're a sinner saved, that can be saved by grace. Respond to God's offer of his son for your sin. Take hold of his grace and move forward. Accept him. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. The patterns that you give us help us to respond to those in grace and love and mercy. Lord, that we would accept all that you offer to us. Lord, I pray that you give us the strength to carry on, to move forward, to love you, and to demonstrate your love to those that you've brought into our families, into our circles, so that we might pass your baton of grace and love on to others. Thanks for that opportunity. And as you're sitting there and you're thinking, God, you're talking to me, you can uh, just deal with those issues in your heart and your life. Maybe you want to write those down, pass those on, so we can pray for you that God would continue to work in your lives. There's a tear-off in your bulletin. You can rip that off and just write down what you're dealing with. And let us know how to pray for you. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, we'd ask, and you'd like to do that, we'd ask you just to let us know so we can pray for you. You can do that right now. Just tell God that you accept his offer of grace in your life. Believe in him. Commit to following him. Let us know you did that so we can pray for you. And if you have questions, please give us a call. Or come up and talk to one of us or a Christian friend, even as you're leaving today.